0: Welcome back to the Big Run. Thank you for joining us on this Monday, March 22nd, for episode 22 of the series. Thank you for all of your comments about previous guests. It's always great to know how the show is going down there with the listeners. If you do want to connect, you can follow us on Twitter at the Big Run Pod or on Instagram at the Big Run Podcast. And March 22nd marks nearly almost a year since the UK went into a national lockdown, or some variation on lockdown with our various tiers. And I don't know about you, but there have been times over the previous year where I have wanted to jack it all in and kind of disappear for a while. Our next guest did just that. Towards the end of 2020, around November time, he wandered north into the woods to get away from it all. The result of this enforced month of isolation was his first book. Running Through The Woods, The River, Gentle On My Mind. A training log documenting his running, his thoughts, and his time there in the woods in British Columbia. It's also accompanied by beautiful illustrations from the artist Mike Mendez, and is released today via The Boys At Long Distance. You can go onto longdistance.world to order yourself a copy. It's called Running Through The Woods, The River, Gentle On My Mind, and I am delighted to welcome the very talented runner, and a very talented writer as well, Mr. Sean Hamilton. So, Sean, thank you so much for coming on The Big Run. Genuinely really excited because I feel like this is, a, this is kind of a unique proposition, this, this book that you're bringing out to the world via long distance. And, and having uh, read it, um, I, I've been profoundly sort of moved and, and kind of touched by the, the writing on the page. And I'd love to kind of dig into your life as a writer as, as well as a runner so in terms of your writing was there a moment or a person or a thing that kind of started your your love for for language or, or for words
1: uh first of all thank you very much for having me <laughs> uh, <laughs> and very kind of you to say uh all those things about it as yeah this is my my first uh um book i guess you'd say published and and put out into the world um definitely my first uh public kick at the can in, in prose and poetry. Um, mm. and so for me, the, the love of language, um, started with me being a rambunctious kid. Um, the first, you know, time that I can really remember leaning into a book, and this is funny, I can't really even remember what book it was necessarily, but it was one of my many, uh, times being grounded, uh, as a rambunctious <laughs> young kid. And, uh, my, Parents basically, the the rule of thumb was, you know, if it wasn't too big of an offense, I would be uh, sent to the couch in our in our family room, um, and you know, no TV. Um, at that point, there wasn't really, you know, internet gaming or anything like that. But no, no Game Boy, um, no friends, no stuff like that. And I was, and basically, because I was this ball of energy. Um who got into lots of trouble. It was just sit on the couch you know that couch was was basically an island and and until they said you could leave um, i I was stuck there and and one of the the first memories was there was you know always books on the on the coffee table near it. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was an avid reader, she's a few years older than me and and uh she was just you know voracious appetite for books um and so she'd always leave books laying around. And I remember just, yeah, being on those, those long solo couch retreats <laughs>
2: <laughs> that seemed to last
1: forever, but were probably only maybe an hour or two of a timeout. Um, and, and you know, almost stubbornly um, out of this sense of uh, defiance, I was like, fine. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna sit down here as long. I'm not gonna ask to be let go. I'm not gonna be asked to be freed. I'm, you know, I'm not gonna say a word until you say like, okay, punishment's done. Uh, but I just grabbed the books, and uh, and I, I remember the first time I kind of got, you know, really, really into one. I think you know, probably maybe only thirty minutes, forty minutes, and my one of my parents was probably like, "You're free to go," uh, <laughs> and I didn't want to. You know, I just kept reading. Um, so mm-hmm. for me, the that was born out of uh, out of my rambunctious nature. Um, it, it found a way to to work its way in and, and and give me a bit of stillness, and and I feel like I've really gravitated. You know even as a young younger adult, um, you know I, I went through all my English programs, uh, finished them early you know in my grade ten and eleven year I was in the next year ahead English. Um, when I really didn't excel at many other courses, uh, I always just seemed to have a very, very uh, big love and appreciation for for books, specifically um, works of of fiction uh, when I was you know in my mid teens and then since it's grown to quite a wide-spanning, um, you know, amount of amount of types of written word, but uh, I, I definitely remember that being my first memory just just being grounded and too hyped up and and having only one little beacon of solace, and that was whatever book my sister left laying around.
0: I, I love this idea of, of couch jail that you were sort of sent to and the the kind of almost the foreshadowing of, of what you were then to go on and experience in, in the book, kind of that sort of isolation, but I also love the idea and you kind of touched on it then when you're younger, your idea and perception of time is so relative, like those 30, 40 minutes must've felt like, especially engrossed in a book, like a, like a lifetime, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, that goes, you know, my life at that point had only been, let's call it seven or eight years. Um, so you know the the context of it an hour seems seems so long um but i definitely you know have that that faint memory of of losing time um in a book that you know there's certain ways that that books can draw you in and take you to another place and i think that was one of my first real outside of sport um you know losing the concept of of time and place um and i think there's a a very beautiful duality as well as a juxtaposition between that um you know the flow state of of a sport where you lose all sense of you know Mm -hmm. awareness of of time and place and anything but that moment and i think there's you know if the book is right and i think that if you're in the right place for it there's these moments where you're in these almost flow state type of feelings with with reading and with engaging in in a book in a way that you lose those track that track of time and that feeling of space and that was definitely that for me this little Mm. couch island prison
0: (laughs) I love it I love it and it's interesting that that sort of losing train of thought because it always feels like and it's a question I always avoid of like what do you think about when you're running because it feels like such a reductive question because it's it's kind of everything and nothing all at the same time. This kind of like almost like transcendental meditation or something like that where your mind is kind of free to free to roam and conjure all kinds of imagery and you can i mean the imagery in 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 the book like is is really kind of profound there's 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 lines that kind of come out and sort of hit you around the head because it's so kind of visceral in your writing and and, and we'll come to that but you touched on you touched on sport there so as you were kind of developing this love for for language and literature where was where was running for you where where was that and when did that start to become sort of a, a kind of cornerstone of your life
1: Yeah. Running is, is a far less linear, um, kind of story for me. I started running, um, my father and I I mentioned this in in some of the work, uh, was, was a a middle distance, uh, man in his prime. And, you know, uh, one of the lines I have in there is, you know, he had a steady portion of 10 miles for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember him always telling me, you know, before we'd eat or drink, water or anything you know we'd just get up and get 10 miles in and and you know you know obviously the stories of our shoes were flats of leather and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but um so i i definitely you know i ran cross country in my younger years and never really felt much about it but i always had fairly decent success um you know in the top Three to five in my in my classes, and and would go to uh, here. It's called provincials. I guess it'd be kind of like regionals or or states or whatever. Um, and and just never really thought too much more than the fact that like oh I'm good at this, and I like being outside, and I'm competitive in some way, shape, or form. And you know it's hard not. There's a lot of Poetic beauty, looking back and nostalgia to cross country. I think uh, it may be one of the more charming elements of the sport. You know, the mud and the 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 fall weather, the dampness. You know, the scents, the smells, the 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 sights of it, the adrenaline, and and you know, everyone's breath fogging up in the mornings. And and yeah, there's just an element that is very poetic and very charming to cross country. Um, that I. <laughs> I have to admit, you know, then I didn't really think too much about it. But now I look back quite, quite wistfully at uh, at those those cross country meets. But that was my first real kind of uh, experience with running just through school. Um, And then when I started to see results in that, I know um, I was put into a a track team, uh, just uh, like a track and field club um, in my in my hometown and I I was awful. Um, you know, when it came to track, uh, you know, I went from having having some small success in in school to going to, you know, this track and field club that was some of these kids had been doing it um for years and and had parents that were very invested in the sport and for me I just had some some slight success in cross country side of things and thought that, that would translate to going to these track meets and, and you know running a fifteen hundred um, and I remember vividly coming in dead dead last and having people from my team cheer me on while I'm two hundred meters back from the the person ahead of me who's second last. Um, and yeah, I remember not having a lot of fun with it for a very long time. Um, then I switched sports and I got into uh, rep hockey as as many young canadians uh do and i I flourished there in my early teens uh into you know my full-on teen years and i started playing uh very competitive uh rep hockey um at the highest level for my age group a lot of traveling uh went to a high school that was focused around a hockey program but uh in there you know our school would still have track meets And I remember guys from my team from other schools would come out to the track meets and they'd always, you know, it was like one of my first moments of of big pride where they'd be like, oh, like, you know, in all of our dry land training, like Sean is first in our runs, like watch this, like Sean's gonna win this one. And I remember running the 400 and and winning that. And and just, you know, that feeling of like, well, I'm really, really hitting my stride with hockey, but like something deep down knows that like, I can still run. but hockey just took so much of a of a foreground for so long that um it kind of made made the decision to lead the the track and field club pretty easy um, so it was it was a a long hiatus actually for running um, as i reached
0: so what pulled you what pulled you back towards it then because there's that that there's a sense of yearning with the, within the within the book as well and the sort of almost a sense wanting to be slightly humbled by by running and i think running does humble us humble us all like <laughs> almost every day like oh boy does it humble oh. us like so what yeah <laughs> what was it that called you back then what was what where was the sort of kernel of you thinking there's there's unfinished business here
1: so basically you know I a a very cliched tale is all this time um the hockey the hockey career ended so to speak um and the, the dream of going to the show died. Um, and as a, as a five, eight and a half, you know, man, uh, the dream was probably dead a lot longer than, uh, than I would admit it. But, uh, anyways, yeah, I, I, again, a very cliched story of, you know, I, uh, reach legal drinking age. I started partying and going out to bars and restaurants, and I just really got out of shape and unhealthy and, and really out of line with who I was the majority of my life, a very fit, active, um, rambunctious sports driven person. And there was just this moment of, "I, I can't continue to do this any longer. I think I hit it a lot earlier than most because I hit it a lot harder on the other end of things. Um, I feel, mm. and this I would say equates to my running habits. Um, if one's good, five is better. Um, you know, my my limitations of of yeah, I have a hard time kind of thinking that. Well, if this is great, why is more not better? Um, mm. So, I feel like I reached that point earlier than a lot of people in in the whole partying, treating your body kind of poorly phase. And I I didn't really know what was next. And I kind of left hockey being very disappointed with how it ended. And I, you know, the idea of joining a men's league or anything like that just didn't appeal to me. So it was more just by chance that I thought, you know, well, running was something that I actually was pretty decent at and and it's an easy sport to get into. And at the time I was living in Toronto and there's a fabulous group there called Parkdale Roadrunners. Um, pretty notorious in in the North America run community, um, and I just decided to go and and I decided uh, I had a few friends that had ran it and were running it, and they had extended the invite a few times, and I took them up on it, and it kind of was one of those things where at first it wasn 't fun, and I was very mm. unenthusiastic about getting back into the sport. But I think in a way that running, you know, keeps you coming back, you see these micro improvements, you start to meet a few people in the community and all of a sudden you're signed up for your first race. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these things snowball. And again, back to the, you know, one is good, five is better mentality. You know, a half marathon's great, why why not a full? Um, And it really just, snowballed in that sense of it was very tied into the community uh and it was very tied into me finding a new way to get healthy and also set these goals and also you know running is one of those things that you kind of dictate the pace in terms of how much you're upping your mileage and all these things and and for me i love that autonomy you know i wasn't reliant on Mm. anyone um to set up a a pickup game of, of hockey or a rec league or anything like that like if i wanted to go run 60 kilometers that week. I could if I wanted to run 30 kilometers that week. I could if I wanted to run 100. I could and it, and it and it was very much, um, I think, right place, right time in terms of I I was really, without knowing it, needing some sense of autonomy, and this and mm-hmm. this accountability to myself, but also to just you know me calling the shots, um, and and like running does for a lot of people. Uh, it starts to take over.
0: That I totally resonate with that. That agency, that sense of wanting, kind of yeah, autonomy and control. Because there's something so democratic and immediately accessible about accessible about running that makes it so addictive. And I think that combined with like a, a really like. Um, encouraging, welcoming, running community. I feel like that's kind of perfect alchemy really for, sure. for it to become like a lifelong addiction. I'm interested in that point though where you were kind of partying and maybe not looking after yourself so much. Like I, I, I'm i always interested in those moments in people's lives where where you kind of want to turn the page. Was there something within that period? Was there like a, a particularly heavy morning after the night before where you were like, oh my God, I feel like crap. Like I need to feel like how I used to feel when when I was running or I was playing hockey, was there like a, a turning point? I, f-
1: <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of turning points, um, <laughs> if, if, in terms of those mornings that, oh boy, I feel about as awful as, as humanly possible where, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, too proud to admit that I, I think I've Googled, can you die from a hangover, uh, more, more than 10 <laughs> times. Um, So for, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I just started into, I guess I define it as like the the first real adult relationship of my life where I was living with a partner. Um, I was managing bars and restaurants and, you know, we wanted to get a dog and, and, you know, do the Sunday coffee strolls. And, and my default was just stay up till 4am drinking, closing down the bar. And sleep till two, you know, and mm-hmm. or one p.m. and and you know, working a a Christmas Eve shift, um, like a private party on a Christmas Eve in our bar, and showing up to Christmas morning, reeking of Jamesons, and you know, the, there was just like this this Oof. this absolute uh, non-poetic side of of you know the <laughs> the partying. <laughs> And, and mm. the, the hospitality industry is a wonderful industry, but uh, in terms of sustainability, it takes a very, very specific type of person and a very well-rounded person, I think, to make that a lifelong uh, endeavor um, and not end up with some ramifications um, that that can be quite detrimental and I think that you know people do it all the time and people make a wonderful living in this industry and I have some friends that are still lifelong service industry workers for me again with my personality um, it just didn't align so I you know I, I, I wanted this life of being able to develop you know further relationships with with community that was not centered around drunken stories or a round of shots. And, you know, I wanted to pursue a a real, I guess we'll call it an adult relationship where, you know, you could Mm. set goals and have vacation plans and get a dog and, and those types of things and, and be accountable and be there for it. And I feel like, um, that led me into a string of, of, let's call it six to 10 month increments of sobriety. Um, and from that was born, you know, a lot of energy, um and then you know you want to try to find a place to put this energy and so every time that i would would cut drugs and alcohol out again i would always come back to how i felt in that you know like month four when i'm out for a run and i've had a green smoothie and i've walked a dog and i'm biking to work and I have all this energy, and I have these these amazing feelings and endorphins, and, and I just feel so much like me or who I think I want to be. Um, and it would always come back to that. Every time I'd start drinking again, you know, I'd wake up one hungover morning, and I'd think about that. I'd think about like, oh man, I remember when I had gotten up at six, I went for a run, I walked the dog, and now I'm biking to work, and I've eaten good food, and I feel great, and I'm confident with my my body and my mind's right. And I would think about Mm. that and it would just double down and double down and double down. And then eventually it just became a point where uh, it just, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. To think that, Mm. you know, six months, okay, like I did a nice dry spell, like now I can go back and kind of taper back into it. Um, I'm just not that person. Um, And so for me, uh, you know, I don't talk about it a lot and I don't think I, I, allude to it too much in, in the writings of, of this work. Um, you know, sobriety is, is, is absolutely critical to me. Um, now in my life, uh, just based off the fact that it, i no longer have those feelings of not being who I am. Um, or mm, I, who I want to yeah, be. I,
0: I absolutely chime with that two, two years, alcohol free for, for myself you. and, yeah, and, and not through anything particularly um, n- nasty or, or or negative. Like I would, uh, I was it wasn't like I, w- I was struggling with addiction, and I don't want to do people who are a disservice. It was just very similar to what you're describing that feeling of like enjoying the version of yourself where you are getting up early, kind of owning the day. And I, not, I don't want to sort of go into the kind of cliche of like those kind of owning the day mantras, but like that sense of accomplishment of of what you are capable of when you are that better version of yourself. But I always found it difficult when, when that, and I don't know whether you found this, but when the subject of you not drinking or not going out partying was brought up within a context of people who still were, and the kind of, kind of navigating that kind of social landscape as well. I, I, and I still do, I find it kind of slightly exhausting. I don't know whether you found yeah.
1: that. I think, and to touch on your point, for me, the biggest thing that, again, not to, you know, paint myself in this um, way of, of, I don't think I had um, a problem in the in the very, you know, uh, traditional sense of, of alcohol dependency. Mm. I just had a very poor relationship with alcohol. And I think a big thing was where I was raised. Um, I spent a lot of my you know, late teenage years in a smaller town in Alberta, um, you know, mm-hmm. which is, which is a, you know, a. I want to say that the, the tendency is, um, more, more towards binge drinking than, than anywhere, you know, any yeah it's it's just i'll leave it at that
0: i know i get i get that man totally i remember being at a university and and you know when you go to university for the first time you're exposed to so many different people and people who had come from from smaller towns and smaller villages the rule of thumb and my understanding of it was always like complete destruction or like talented genius like it was like one or one or two like i remember being very tight with a particular group of friends from a very small rural village in the sort of southwest of england and it was one or the other they were either like party hard kind of drug taking alcohol drinking like nutters or just the most like prodigal like kind of talented mm-hmm. geniuses it was like one or the other And there's something very unique about that kind of like small town mentality it's like yeah it's yeah see that you get you 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 kind of get sucked in by the town or you get out and you kind of make it and,
1: and that was that was it you know for me I think the biggest thing was was my relationship from the jump with with uh drugs and alcohol was so flawed that for me um I it took me recognizing that my well, I didn't have a problem, you know, going a string of days without drinking or a string of months or weeks without drinking in terms of, you know, I wasn't trying to sneak booze or, or, uh, you know, uh, hide it from people. Um, Mm. My relationship with it was so flawed that, you know, the goal of alcohol was one thing. And that was, and that was um, to not, not check in with myself, to not be present, to not be anywhere in this reality of, of the life that I was living and to get fucked up, if I'm being honest, you know, like that was the one main Mm. purpose. It was, it was a driving, um, it was a vessel towards escape and, and there was no, Oh, I'll just enjoy a glass of wine because it's nice to pair with with dinner or, you know, it takes a little bit of the edge off. There was no, um, softening the edges. It was obliterate them, Mm. remove yourself from reality. And that was my relationship with alcohol. So, I think that a lot of people, and I envy those people, that that can you know have a, a beer or two on a Saturday night and be like, "Well, that's it. Got a long run in the morning." Um, for me, <laughs> I'm not that dude, um, and and I think that that's just something that comes with a lot of trial and error, and it comes with with age and experience. Of I'm starting to learn my my own tendencies, and I'm starting to really get to know me a lot more, and. and just being honest with myself that that's not me. As much as I admire and, and wish that could be me, um, it's not. So cutting that out was big. Mm-hmm. And I think that it just is another step in, in you know, being, being truly aware of who you are. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it doesn't hurt that goals align um, running wise with it, you know, putting down a lot of mileage and, and setting your own personal goals. And and having you know ambitious um, projects such as this book, um, I don't think those would have stood a chance if I if I wasn't in control of of my own sobriety and my own uh, relationship with drugs and alcohol.
0: You mentioned then about sort of finding the truer sense of yourself or finding a better understanding of who you are. That that feels very much kind of at the forefront of the book. Running through the woods, the river gentle on my mind, which as a title is so good it's such it's such a good just the cadence of it reading it is beautiful so so for people listening who might not be aware of it talk us through where this idea came from when when did you decide to because it was last year wasn't it It was 2020 sort of towards the tail end of 2020 which I mean that's that's a story within itself that year when did the idea come for you what was the motivation for you to kind of disappear into the woods for a month and then to document that time? Yeah,
1: so I mean, it, it, it kind of was in a, in a way forced upon me. Um, I had been traveling, uh, was living in Toronto as I had mentioned for years and uh, decided to spend, um, the original plan was around six months um, in Mexico City and throughout California um had some some races on the on the agenda and and just you know decided i didn't know what was next and uh was basically going to bop around between you know uh, i have some really great connections in mexico city as well as is la and and some great races on the on the were on the calendar and i just decided that this Mm -hmm. was going to be a time to you know go camp out in you know Different places, and drive a Sprinter van across California, and spend two months in Mexico City, and run in, you know, Valley de Canejo, and and run the streets of of Mexico City, and through Chapultepec Park, and and really just try to find what was next, and and you know, get to see some friends along the way, and get to do some races, and hopefully check some some PRs off the old list, but. Um 2020 had other plans <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I and I remain uh constantly aware of my privilege and and my fortune in it all that um through a very, very, very awful year for the world at large, um, you know, I still was able to have some um flexibility and freedom to to pivot to uh not worry about where you know, giving up an apartment and and putting all your stuff in storage and, and planning a six-month trip, sure, it definitely sucks that, you know, about two months into it, the world comes to a, a screeching halt, um, you know, especially when you you build up the idea of a trip like this over quite some time leading up to it. But, you know, I didn't have an apartment to pay for. I didn't have uh, a bunch of stuff. I didn't, you know, have a, a job that I was worried about keeping, you know, I had saved up to go and travel. And, and at the time, um, I was in a relationship, and and they had done the same. And there was a lot of, you know, still that, like, freedom to pivot. Um, so ended up back in in British Columbia, where um, both my parents and my my partner at the time, uh, her parents were, and we, we just kind of figured that was a safe bet. You know, we would, would come back and and, and kind of Figure out what was next, and and at that point, you know everyone was still thinking, you know it's two weeks of quarantine, and then the world goes on. Um, so I <laughs> flew back from California and the the sped up Cole's notes long and short of it, is really fell in love with with b c uh, spent the summer, bought an old van, traveled around, uh, running all over the province, running trails, camping out. Uh, going to the Gulf Islands. Um, there was a lot of, uh, again, privilege in, in you know, being in a place like BC during the early months of COVID. Uh, numbers were quite low. Restrictions were there. And obviously you had to be safe. But, you know, we still, I still have the autonomy of, of you know, um, traveling around the region. And it's quite, uh, topographically, you know, it, it's got rocky mountains it's got the coast it's got canada's only desert um you know it's it's really quite an embarrassment of riches here so spent the summer being able to travel around living out of a a van running um actually had a race in the fall back in ontario that i had to go back and and clear out all of the storage locker stuff and, and basically sell everything that i owned in toronto um and got to do a little race that was a marathon in around a two kilometer loop in a park. There was about like a hundred people, um, fully sanctioned race, but, uh, you know, that was a nice little bonus after, a uh, you know, a summer of, you know, 80, a hundred kilometer weeks every week, just staying fit. Um, but long and short is came back to Vancouver with the idea of, you know, again, no long-term plans, but this was, you know, a good safe place to be and uh that relationship that i was in um multi-year relationship uh long term uh it ended it just you know uh part of it maybe being a result of uh you know a, a casualty of of covid um as many relationships i know have and are struggling during during this mm-hmm. you know time of uncertainty and and you know this instability of being able to know what's next or where to go and 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 I you know don't think that helped it, but for whatever reasons um, that ended and and so there was a there was a moment of of you know being in an unfamiliar city across the country from all of my friends and and community um, and this four year relationship ending and not knowing what was next, that was supposed to be the point of this trip, and I had a, a friend who, at the beginning of summer, um, I had ran into in Kelowna, where my my parents live in the interior of BC, and he had mentioned that he had a you know a, he was living on his family's property up uh, up north in uh, Clearwater area, um, pretty rural. They had 17 acres. you had a cabin on it with a couple bunkies around the property. Um, really super remote. About you know a 30 minute drive on the highway from a 2,000 person town, and then a cross a uh, hydraulic ferry that only ran for, you know, probably like seven, eight hours a day with intermittent scheduling um, to cross the river and then another 20 minutes on, on a, basically a, a, a service road uh, to get to this property. So, so to put it bluntly, very remote. <laughs> um, mm. Anyways, and, and you know, in that initial shock of, of the split happening and, and no certainty at, around anything in my life, um, I kind of wrote a list of of what am I control of and that list was very short um, and it was how much I run, how much I write, how much I read, how I treat other people, how I treat animals, how I treat the planet, what I create, you, you know, very, the things that were important to me but also a very short list, I would say maybe 10 things that I had complete control over. Uh, And from that, I wrote a list of, of what do I do now? And so on that list, uh, you know, was everything from, you know, maybe not very well thought out, like I get on a plane tomorrow, and I go to Mexico City, and I hunker down there with some friends and, you know, in the COVID reality of it, that's not really an option, but I wrote down that list anyways, Um, you know, that list was shorter than the list before it, um, and 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 on the last thing on that list and was you know uh, Dunlake. and and as I started to go through the list over the next day or two, you know the shell shock of a of a relationship ending, and the the feeling of what do I do now, um, a lot of the, the 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 list kind of dwindled, and and I just decided I was out for a run. I was like, you know what, screw it. When I get back, I'm gonna gonna get a hold of my friend Matt and see what the reality of me coming and staying in one of those bunkies is. Um, and he was, and, and honestly, Matt, my friend Matt is, is uh, solely responsible for making this happen. He just, he got on the phone with me and he said, dude, whatever you need, come on out. Um, you know, We hadn't seen each other prior to that summer for years since party days drinking in in uh, small town, Alberta. And, and he fully, fully was on board. Um, so that was kind of the, the initial start of it. And, you know, I had, uh, you know, my coach kind of builds out, uh, a plan about a month at a time. So I was like, you know what, like let's, let's up it so that, you know, I'm running a bit more mileage, a little bit more like mountain focus, so low and slow, but you know, I'm running six days a week and the, you know, the kilometers can creep up there. Like I'm going to want to keep my head busy or my body busy and my head, Mm right. Right. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit, like, you know, take out some of the, 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 fart licks and the tempo workouts and, and just get some like long, low and slow mountain miles. And, and let's just get me out on my feet every day. Mm. Um, and then it got to the cabin and life really, really, really simplified, but also there's a moment of driving in and it's three 30 in the afternoon and the sun is well behind the mountains and then it's 345 and it's pitch black. And you really start to realize I'm gonna have to fill a lot of long dark nights here um,
2: with something, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: And so keeping my body busy wasn't hard. You know, you run in the morning or or when it gets warm enough to run. (laughs) And then you know there's wood to chop. There was water to to fill. You know at the time that I arrived, uh, one of the the pipes had frozen and the well had had some issues. So for the first half of my stay there, um, there was no running water. So all the water was from the creek. You'd load it up in in you know big buckets and haul it into a bigger bucket. And would so there was a lot of you know I, I call them chores of necessity um so the body was was constantly um you know in use and i felt very very good about that but what came as is, is quite a uh a, a big hit was the fact that there's a lot of time to be alone with your thoughts and uh my bunkie didn't have <laughs> um you know, uh, flat screen TV and and that connection to Netflix. Um, I should note that you know the 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 property itself was serviced, so there was electricity. Um, my bunkie was you know a uh, couple hundred feet away from the main cabin. If I if I really needed anything, there was no kitchen in there, but the cabin had a kitchen. Um, my cell service was was pretty much zero in the bunkie, but on certain parts of the property, or if I drove into town, I'd have service. Um, would get like spotty wifi from there. So, you know, it was really like the option to, in, in that bunkie was not to stream Netflix. Um, also, it wasn't really what was calling me at that point. Um, so there was a lot of books and then a lot of me time. Um, some meditation, which can get ugly post breakup, you know, when you're just sitting with your thoughts. Um, and and it just kind of hit me that I was just like, I'm going through such a range of emotions. Why am I not putting this down,
2: even if it's just for mm-hmm. me to reflect? And so, the first run I went on there,
1: I had written, you know, in my head this this work. Uh, just here, the first one that's in the book. Um, and it was just about being here and, and kind of what my thoughts were. And, and I still had the words kind of rattling around my head. So I just wrote it down and I, I wrote it down in, I hadn't kept a run journal in, in a long time. Um, I wrote it down with, you know, I just copied the, the, the data, the metrics from Strava. And
2: I remember that feeling of just,
1: I don't want to call it Eureka, but it was just this moment of like, Oh, this is what I'm I'm supposed to do here. Like I'm supposed to dive into the hard parts of it as well as the the beauty of it, as well as the the juxtaposition between, you know, this this deep ache of loss and loneliness and um solitude, as well as, you know, the feeling of complete and utter awe, the beauty of of a place untouched. Um you know, there's a lake about a kilometer down the only, the only road along the way. Um, And you could just stand at that lake, at Dunlake for hours and not, you know, you wouldn't hear a car come by. Um, You wouldn't obviously see another person. Uh, There's a salmon hatchery at the base of it. And so you could watch the salmon. And because of the salmon, there's lots of eagles. So, you know, just this this, Abundance of beauty mixed with this deep pain and ache and and mm. for me, it was just these these overwhelming emotions of of all those things that kept presenting themselves and, and i'd go on these these runs and and every time I'd come back with these thoughts and write them down, it was just this little bit more of processing and it wasn 't until I had probably about 4 or 5 written down that I was like, you know what? No, like this is this is I'm going to I'm going to get something out of each and every run here and out of every day. Um at the time I didn't know if, you know, it was going to amount to a book, <laughs> but I I did mm-hmm. know that, you know, I would leave and I would be able to have this this very personal document of of just whatever was going on that day. And, and I think that there's a very, you know, it's a very singular look at, you know, day by day by day. Um, it wasn't until I read all of them back that I noticed there was, you know, maybe more weekly shifts. Um, and I, and I kind of comment at the end in my reflections that, you know, uh, in the first week, there was a big sense of, of awe. And, I, you know, I wanted to learn all about what animals were there what the the plants and and wildlife and and what was you know uh like what were names and phrases and and what were things that were very very tied to the area and you know when i drive into town like the the gyms convenience and all those things those were very very intriguing to me and i just want to kind of soak it all up and i wanted to learn more about the trees that grew in the area and what fish were in the lake and and that was just this big overwhelming feeling and then in the second week it kind of shifts to you know there's a a feeling of loneliness that's kind of waving over all of it and and kind of overtaking it all to you know it shifts into kind of an anger and you know like uh, i talk about in one of them that this isn't my home and this doesn't feel like home and this doesn't and this isn't where i belong mm. and then that you know slowly shifts into I realize that this isn't forever and this is a short-term thing and, and if I don't lean into this now, I'm going to regret it um, and and you know, it kind of ends with the sentiment of, if I can't be here, can I still call upon the sentiments and the feelings and the lessons I've learned here? If I leave it, will I be able to touch on these feelings? So looking back, I can see all that, but day to day in that moment, it was, it was okay, man, feel what you're going to feel, get out there, absorb as much as you can and put it all on the page when you get back. So, I mean, there was a mad dash. I would get back from, from some of these runs, let's say if it was an hour and a half run, you know, and I would just have to sit there trying to recite what I had, what I had put down in my head as, as the weeks went on, you know, there was more of an idea of like, okay, this is going to be like more of a fleshed out work. So, you know, Mm. I remember getting in and my hands were frozen some mornings, like just ice cold and I couldn't even hold a pen or, or tap it into my phone or, you know, some mornings my hands were so cold. I I had to voice dictate it onto my phone. Um, Just like these phrases before I could work them all in. And then, you know, normally I'd sit there for an hour, two hours in my wet clothes, getting, you know, colder and colder, and just trying to work out that day's log. Um, and and I think that you know, um, there was a sense of work in that. There was a sense of like you know that that is this is my reason for being here, and this is getting me mm. through each day. Where I would start with you know a run or these chores of necessity, um, and then. The rest of it was about really putting down in the best way I could in that day, uh, everything that I was going through and feeling and and putting it down in a way that I knew um, maybe was a bit more accessible down the line. Um, but I knew that while I was there, I wasn't gonna do any final editing. I wasn't gonna do any uh, tweaking. I wasn't gonna revise anything past that day. So I made this point of of getting back from those runs and getting everything down, and then maybe maybe changing <laughs> into some dry clothes, and then refining. You know, I'd <laughs> spend the rest of the day um, coming back to it and tweaking it and working on it. But once the next day had started, you know, it was about that run, those chores of necessity, and then the next piece. And you know, mm. when you start living your day to day life like that, even in a short term of just over you know a month. Um everything speeds up and everything slows down in a very unique way where this concept of time is, is so, so warped. Um, you know, these, mm-hmm. these singular purpose-driven days where you're not looking back to that work, you're not looking to tomorrow's work or, or anything like that, you're just in it and you have this set task that is, is very personal. Um, you know, it's something that I think you, to get that, you can't be connected to, um, society in the way that, you know, city life, mm. um, asks for. And, and, and just by, a, you know, definition is like, you know, you, when you're around the hum of people and the convenience and the ease of technology, mm. it, it's just not possible. I, or, I mean, at least not my self-discipline maybe isn't strong enough for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that being so removed,
2: definitely enabled, you know, that, that, diligent
1: work of of that day-to-day mm. documentation
0: and that comes out on the page you see the rigor and and the structure of your approach and you're absolutely right like i feel like we're a generation whose attention has been eroded by sort of social media and technology like my concentration span has has been decimated i feel like within the past sort of 15 years ever since the birth of of all that technology is as, as, as exciting as it is and it's interesting reading it it feels like you started at a place of, of heartbreak and, and of hurt, but and, and you touch on it in, in one particular piece in the book. But the fact that you stuck with it, it actually becomes, for me reading it as kind of a, 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 an outsider, it becomes like more of a reflection on our, our sense of what we draw purpose and value from within within life what is the what are the really important things that's the thing that comes across to me as a as a reader Um, and in terms of you like kind of uh, along that creative process as you were describing it there I'm interested in in kind of days sort of one to five when you're first there kind of ground zero as it were boots on the ground when you're kind of dealing with this with this heartache and yes you can run you can defrost the pipes but that's only going to take up a certain amount of hours during the day like and then the rest of the day is you and your thoughts and was there a temptation early on to kind of resist that urge to sort of lead into that emotion is was it something that you had to work out in the same way that you'd approach like a training schedule as a runner to sort of draw a lazy metaphor
1: no i i think it's absolutely accurate um there was there was a gut check moment so to speak um
2: you know where in those first
1: let's call it seven days where all of a sudden i was out on a run and then i didn't want to just think about how i felt i just wanted to go and and run you know i think that there's also this this expectation of you know we all get into it there's certain runs where you feel super motivated by a goal and you know you're thinking about a pr and you're just like yeah i'm hammering this and there's certain runs where you go and you're like i don't think about anything and it, like you said it's that flow state meditative feeling and then there's certain runs where you're processing everything and it's just a, you know, you're physically exerting yourself while mentally working through things. Um, and sort of force these parameters on a run, you know, after, after, you know, the first four or five days to be like, okay, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, going to keep documenting this in this way. And I'm going to think about what I want to say and what I want to put on the page,
2: uh, during this run, it was hard in that,
1: you know, that, I'd maybe sixth or seventh day to look at it and be like, oh shit, what have I committed to? You know, cause I just want to check out right now. Like I'm, I woke up cold and it was the first day that it was really, really, really cold. And, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna think about anything. I don't wanna acknowledge where I am or how my heart hurts or or how in awe of anything I am, good, bad, ugly in between. I I just wanna, I just wanna put one foot in front of the other and sweat and not feel for an hour and fifteen minutes, um, and that was a that was a definite moment where in, in that first week, I had to decide like is this is this going to die on you know, is this going to die right here right now, um, or am I going to commit to this? And I think that there was a a definite moment where I I thought about quitting, um, and I thought about. You know this was a cool idea but you know maybe next time um it it took a lot of of you know self-discipline in the same way that you relate to running you know it's much akin to the the training cycle i think we've all uh in the running community experienced uh, a period of time where it's a lot easier to think about like not doing that workout, and you know what okay, maybe uh, you know that race doesn't go as good, or you know oh man i 'm just like my knee na- my legs are just just trash right now maybe i'll I'll make this five mile repeats as opposed to seven um, and I think that you know this the mental fortitude from a lot of you know training and running helped me kind of commit to that um as well as is that you know that clarity that again sobriety and and just being with myself and and honest with myself helped um i was able to really take stock of like is this the easy way out or is this something worth doing and i think that's you know again the benefit of having a lot of time and and time by yourself removed from a lot of things um I was able to really sit with it and ask myself that tough question because I had the time to, and I had no distractions. And and I think that there was a very honest moment in which, you know, I, I deemed that at least I, I hoped it was going to be worth it. The juice was going to be worth the squeeze. Um, but after that, I didn't question it because I, I, once the mind was, my mind was made up much like in a training cycle, you know, um you look at what's on what's on the the docket for that day and you just get it done you find a way to do it the best you can um i just decided that it was going to be worth it whether you know i didn't know at the time it was gonna come out as a book uh i didn't know if it was just gonna live forever in a little journal um that maybe my kids one day would see or that i would never show anybody but i knew it was gonna it was gonna be uh something that I committed to. And and I think that once I decided that, I didn't have that question again. Um, Doesn't mean that it wasn't, there wasn't days where it was easy or I didn't want to still just check out, but
2: it never again questioned if I was gonna
1: do it.
0: Mm. And there's something really, I think that's something really exciting about like the creative process, like you were saying then you didn't know it was going to be a book or maybe it was going to be a, a journal for your kids to read or something like that when when you're kind of just creating something just for the sake of for creating it there's something really beautiful and and kind of profound about that when you're kind of just in the moment of it and like you talk about your training there but it sounds like as well reading it that the the terrain and the training was also pretty difficult as well as the kind of rigors that you were putting yourself through kind of emotionally there's there's one particular line that like pinged out me I was talking earlier about some of your imagery being really profound and you described the terrain as ragged denim in a hamper of like the hills, the kind of restless, kind of constant up, down, up, down. Like, was that, was that a bit of a shock to your system being out there working with that terrain? Like, was it, was that a bit of a, a bit of a test to you as a runner?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I definitely think that uh, I'd consider myself, um, not naturally fast, but a, a strong runner. Um, I think that showed, you know, and having cross country success, but maybe not so much on the track. Um, for me, you know, hills and, and, uh, tough terrain have always resulted in me being kind of at my best in running. Um, even, you know, marathons that I've raced that have a tougher course than like a fat and f- a flat and fast course, I've always seemed to fare better in that. Um, but this terrain with this mileage and some of the workouts that even I, you know, had baked in, even though the goal wasn't necessarily like workout driven, you know, there was still some workouts in there. Um, and I, I chose not to like put that into the log portion of it, but you know, there were some days where, um, like for me personally, I got a pretty big goal. I want to run uh, the women's Olympic qualifying time in marathon, you know, it's so a 2.45 marathon time. Um, and that's my current goal. So there was some, some times where, you know, if a workout was baked in and you're running up an road filled with black ice, that's just potholes and gravel. You know, like there's no paved roads. I wasn't running any of these on paved roads. Like it's Forest Service roads with, I'm talking softball-sized rocks everywhere. And you know, you're you're trying to get down to, you know, a, a good clip, a workout clip, and it just so happens that your your three K on hits at the bottom of a hill. Like you're sol. You're 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 sprinting up a, this this rocky hill. And so like did it result in me hitting every time goal? No, was that the point? Absolutely not. Um, but it was good to have those, you know, those days where, you know, I knew I was gonna run myself into the ground and, and do these runs on, on unfavorable terrain. Um, but I started to learn it. And that was a really cool thing I think about, you know, when you only have a couple options of where you run, um, you know, it's like that home court advantage, that feeling of, you know, I know I'm about to, to hit my strides and I know it's all downhill from here or this is the part of the road that hasn't been chewed up by, by logging trucks. Um, and I think there's this element of like you start to really give it its own personality and, and, and its own character and I, I I, you know I looked at certain turns of like okay like I know like I've only ever seen two trucks on this road at this time but both times I came around this corner and it was quite startling so I hugged the right shoulder you know here and and lo and behold as I think that I take a corner and there's a truck barreling down and I'm just like I know it like I'm I'm intertwined in all of this mm. and this is like hello old friend Kind of territory, you know, <laughs> and and you start to learn the intricacies of, of I think anyone anywhere running the same routes over and over get that that familiarity, that that kinship with with the mm-hmm. terrain or the the turns and the the streetlights and the you know we all have those streetlights that we know like oh if I don't make this thing I am hooped it's it's I'm standing yeah. here forever <laughs> and, and I think that translates to the, these roads um, you know obviously not mm-hmm. streetlights but I knew when I reached the end. There was a person who had a property at the end of the lake that had two dogs. And the first morning I ran out there, those two dogs chased me down. And, you know, so it's like, oh, I know that's I, Butch's dogs. Like, I know, like, there's a chance <laughs> that, like, these two monstrous, kind of scary <laughs> beasts are going to come out at me. Like, what are the chances? Um, mm. Yeah. So there, there's this, this odd, familiarity that you develop with roots and with, and with the train. But, uh, in my own running there, um, yeah, it wore me down. It physically wore me down, which is, which is when I went to my coach and told him, you know, I was going to go do this. Um, obviously not knowing I was going to be documented in terms of writing about it every day. Uh, that's kind of why we shifted gears to be like, okay, like you're going to be out there like six, seven days a week, almost every day, if not every day but everything adjusts to that. It's like more about just like mountain miles, get out there, be out there. Um, but even still, it, it, you know the, 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 the roads there and the train and the mental side of, of documenting it and trying to remember how I wanted to word things and, and what stuck out to me on the run or what I was feeling, um, all of that resulted in some of the most exhausting runs of my life. Um, even though like you know the times on them wouldn't dictate you know i've I've had runs that you know if you looked at it on paper it'd be like oof, that's that's a beefy run at a good clip but these paired up with all of that you know the, the feeling of of having this i don't want to say pressure but this this uh you know i was kind of demanding it of myself that i really 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 honed in and took stock and put my my best writing foot forward and to do that and keep, you know, maybe a one to two page work of prose in your head throughout this whole run. Uh, it, it was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done as well as, you know, trying to keep the certain workouts maybe that I was doing in my head of like, oh, was that five on or six on? You know, was that rep seven? Um, how many was the, the threshold? Was it 3K, was it four? You know, like that. Then the terrain. Then, you know, the, the process of also just emotionally going through a, a turbulent time. And then, yeah, you know, looking out for Butch's dogs or the fact that there's, you know, cougars and lynx and all that in the area. And, you know, there are bears and there's a lot going on. And I, I feel like those, you know, hour to two hour runs every day, like,
2: I don't know if I've ever been more exhausted.
0: Mm. there's something profound I think in that though kind of giving yourself over to that level of like exhaustion but devotion to the process of creating that art there's something like there's something profound I think within that also knowing within that time that you're not thinking and this is going to get published by long distance and I'm going to be on a podcast talking about it <laughs> you're just going to be you're just making it for the sake of it I just think there's something so kind of wonderful in that and talking about the terrain that that's definitely well, again sensing it as a reader there the, the feels to be like a narrative thread of you being slightly humbled by it and then kind of owning it and kind of sort of almost having a sense of belonging with the landscape as well but I'm really curious when that process was over, when you came back and you kind of came back to reality as it were, or came back to your kind of normal existence, what was that gear shift like for you having gone through that exhaustion, that creative process to be back kind of in your apartment being like, oh, that happened.
1: So I went to uh, my parents' place for Christmas. Basically, I think I left uh, the property let's call it the 23rd and uh my sister and my parents and i all sat down um for dinner on i guess christmas eve or maybe the 23rd i'm a little fuzzy on the dates but i i have a lot of allergies and dietary restrictions that we won't get into but uh you know my mom's always stressed about what i can eat um and i just remember my dad asking me a bunch of questions and my sister sitting next to me at the table and my mom throwing, you know, like, Oh, like read this, read this uh, ingredient list and, and this and this. And my dad being like, Oh, he can eat it. Don't worry. It's fine. And her be like, no, no, no. And just like this stimulation overload of, of people and voices and um, just information. I, I just, I remember my sister just being like, it's okay. Like just sitting there and just, I know, like, if you were to look at me from the, like, if I were to see me from the outside, I would have looked shell-shocked. And I mean, it wasn't like I was in solitary confinement and, and, you know, like my friend had the property and he had some workaways on the property. Like I saw people and I went into town and, you know, um, people came out from his family to stay in the lodge. And, and, and so, you know, yes, there was a lot of alone time and me time, but you know, it's not like I was in a, a cell in solitary confinement for, for months on and then all of a sudden i'm seeing another person that looks like an alien like i but there was so much alone time where i didn't have to have these things pulling at me and and so much of my day was focused on very singular tasks that sitting around that dinner table trying to interact in that way and having questions at me and and having all this energy around me um i just like (laughs) i was absolutely shell-shocked um And it took a minute for me to, to get over that. You know, there was moments where I'm a social guy and I never really felt that like overwhelming feeling of being like, I got to get out of here. But I felt that I started to feel that quite quickly Um, being around my family for the holidays. I just, I I would hit this, this moment where I was just like, I gotta just go to, you know, the guest room or I got to get outside and, you know, obviously still running lots. Um, So, you know, those, I would, drive out to where I was gonna run. And I would spend 45 minutes driving, pick somewhere farther away, run, uh, pack a coffee and some food in the car, have that after the run and just sit before being able to come back and see them again. Um, And I love my family and they're wonderful and they've been wonderfully supportive. Um, My sister actually read, you know, all of the first version of this and, and has been super, super supportive of that. Um, but it was just too much too soon and and it wasn't even that much. So I think that, um, in that time, I also didn't know, I thought about
2: maybe going back for another month. Um, and
1: I, you know, I talk about it in some of the work, you know, like if I leave here, can I come back to this? Like, can I hone in on the sentiments? Um,
0: do you think it would be the same if you went back?
1: That's why I opted not to. I feel like leaving mm. and having that, you know, 10 week or I think it was like a week or eight days away and reflecting and starting to edit the pieces and put them into place and printing out all the works and, and stacking them up and viewing them. I had a really hard time going back and not having it feel a um, contrived. and And now all of a sudden like, okay, I've, I've, I've taken the, you know, the, Thirty thousand foot approach, and I've looked down on all of this um, with some removal. Um, obviously, still super fresh, but you know, I've looked at this, and now it's like, can I go back and not try to make it fit into this what it is right now? And can I go back and and have this not be in the back of my mind? Like, okay, now it sits as like a, a, a journal of like a work that stands on its own. Or can I go back and not try to force? something to fit into this and then b i just don't know if i had the emotional um reserves to do it much longer um because of of the fact that i feel very 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 confident in the fact that every single one of those runs when i was thinking about all those aforementioned things and trying to create and memorize and focus on where i was what i was going through and and holding it all in so that i could get it down on paper when i got back um i just didn't know if i had another month of that in me right right in that moment and i think that it's funny i got back to the city in january in the new year and i continued to write at the same clip um but out on my so I run in the mornings and I walk the seawall in the evenings. It's 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 a ritual. Um and the walks are normally about as long as the runs, you know, um an hour to two hours. Like I'll try to get in nice long walks. Um, and I found myself writing on those walks. You know, the runs had become just about like whatever the workout was or exploring the city or just enjoying sweating and checking out. Um, but these walks had shifted into writing at that same clip um, pretty much daily. Uh, but it was far less, you know, I'd have my phone with me and I could write it down on a note. Um, or I could voice dictate it through my headphones or, you know, there was again, that tie to technology where it made it a little bit easier. Mm. And maybe that will live one day, you know, walking through the city, the ocean gentle on my mind or something. But, uh, (laughs) for now, those will just, those will, you know, stay with me for now until I find a home for them. But Uh, I just didn't know if I had the emotional, uh, reserves to, to go and, and, and do more than what was and not make it try to fit in with the rest of what had already been put down. So for me, it felt like a good, good way to bookend it, but it also, uh, there was a lot of questions of if, if I could go back and if I should go back and and maybe this was how life was supposed to be, you know, um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money to, to, keep the lights on in a friend's bunkie that exists. And, you know, thankfully, again, thanks to him, like, you know, just pay for, you know, some of the, the hydro bill and, and you know, make sure you're helping out chopping wood and, you know, starting fires and stuff like that. But, you know, there was a thought of like, why shouldn't this be my life, you know, run and write and create and, and freelance on projects when you can and and keep things very simple. But also, you know, there's a moment of,
2: that's me putting a little bit
1: of, of and I, I'll admit that this, no part of this seemed like a vacation then, but vacationize on it. You know, there's this, this charm to like, this isn't my norm, and oh, this is so, you know, the pageantry of it is, is, is when you look at it on the, the page, is, is quite uh, charming. And I think I, I put that at the beginning of the intro, you know, like I, I did what many people have probably thought about when the chips are down, you know, wandered into the woods and, and leave your life behind, so to speak, whether that be for a week, a month, a year, indefinitely, um, I think a lot of people have had those thoughts of, of, you know, if I just go away where things are simpler and it's, you know, chop wood, carry water, toast and honey and black coffee and, and a couple good books and that's all you really need. Um, There's a pageantry to it, and then there's a reality to it. And I think that the reality of it hit me quite hard that a life away from a city and its conveniences
2: is work. And B, checking in with
1: yourself and being okay with being alone is very, very hard to do, especially in today's day and age. And sitting with your your own self is something that in in city life in today's day and age you don't really ever have to do unless you choose to do it um so the pageantry of it wore off not wore off but definitely i was i became very acutely aware of the the hard elements of of what seemed like a very um idealistic approach to to life Um, and so it was it was a big big point of you know there was some inner turmoil of of do i go back can i go back um can this be how my life is more long term um and i think that i still battle with that and i think that that will never change even looking at the works now as a whole and thinking about it you know um i've thought about maybe i go back you know every season you know kind of mark the beginning of a new season for some time or in my long term goals, maybe, you know, there's an a frame in, in a little slice. of so wood somewhere, you know, like anyone thinks about that charming, beautiful idea. But for me, all of a sudden, you know, I understand a little bit more of the the logistics of it now and a little bit of the hard parts as well as the beauty. Um, and I think that, you know, that's going to be something that I, I try to navigate in as time goes on, but it just felt like it was this was
2: the time and it sat on its own and, and that I needed to kind of just not have to
1: sit with myself any longer and and write every day based on this expectation that I had. Um, and, it, and it was just, yeah, I just, I feel like I was emotionally and physically ready to move on from that more than I was able to imagine going back and doing another month of it.
0: Yeah. And I also feel like going back maybe so soon, like it wouldn't, you know, you kind of would have been running and being like, oh, maybe the dogs are going to chase me like they did last time. Do you know what I mean? Trying to recreate like the those kind of moments would wouldn't have felt as kind of organic. But that coming back to what you were just saying just before about and that's what's so tantalizing about this book is it's that proposition that I think so many people have had and have thought you know tied to their desks or unhappy with their lives or their lot in life of what would it be just to kind of cut ties and and kind of go and disappear and that's what's so exciting to read your kind of honest um, experiences of what that's like intertwined with with running and that's why I, I cannot recommend this this book enough but when you were piecing it together after the fact and kind of sort of collating these works into a body of work. I mean, what was that process like? And I'm curious as well, in your in your introduction, you describe the, the poetry, and it is, it's poetry, it's beautiful poetry, you describe it as corresponding field notes. Was that a conscious choice to frame it in that way? Was that a way of you, because it's quite emotional and quite raw what you're putting on the page, was that part of you not disguising the fact that it's poetry, but framing it in a way that makes it more, I don't know, approachable to the reader. That felt like a very conscious choice for you to frame it as as field notes rather yeah, than poetry. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think right after, you know, that I also made sure, and maybe this is something that I need to take stock of myself, but I threw in a, I don't want to say self-deprecating, but, you know, a line about, you know i do not claim any elite athletic ability nor yes. philosophical or yeah. poetical you know prowess um because this was my first you know i'm 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 a poetry fan um and a literature fan obviously and and uh my my love of literature and poetry and all those things obviously I always viewed it as a as a consumer of it, not a creator of it. Maybe necessarily, especially poetry. Um, I wanted to
2: to really hone in on the fact that this was a vulnerable account, um, while also I didn't
1: want any pretentiousness around, you know, um, the idea that this was was some great work of of grandiose you know nature that some gifted writer went away and and did it you know I wanted this to be like, hey, this is like I'm a very you know ordinary person living a very ordinary existence in the grand scheme of things, and I just decided to really, really, really not let myself off the hook and take account of what was going on in those moments and so the vulnerability, I think, um, comes across in the work, and and you know the fact that I, I tried to take out the idea of of being ashamed of anyone's sentiment or feeling. Um, so if that's anger, if that's you know even just even just writing, I think as a grown man, uh, and and I don't know why, but you know, I mean societal <laughs> norms, you know that you go down to a lake and you cry, that you lay lay down in the weary pebbles your eyelashes crinkling with frost and you, you cry, um, you know, putting down on the page for anybody to read that, you know, I went and laid down beside a lake and I just wept. Um, I think there's a, a level of vulnerability that comes with that, that I kind of wanted to, to really hone in on the fact that like, this is not written as, you know, this grandiose um, poetic, stylized version of like what a wilderness retreat or you know a running away to the woods should look like um this is very much a, a real human being going and not knowing what the fuck was next and not knowing how to deal with some of the things going through his head um and and heart and really just being Completely open and honest and vulnerable, and I think because I didn't know that this was going to live in in a publicized form, um, I was able to write those things down. but the editing of it really really made me have to gut check that and be like, nope, if this was in there like if something didn't fit, sure, I could take it out, but you know um there's some works in there that you know I read and I, and I was reading when I was editing and and I really had to take stock of like. Kate, like do you want to be honest like now's your chance now's your chance to leave this in and 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 you know not be you know ashamed of the fact that that you were going through this or that you felt this way or you felt inadequate or that at some moment you longed for a woman's touch whether that was a mother a lover or a concerned citizen driving by you know the the fact is is I longed for feminine compassion in that moment and that was the strongest sentiment I could feel and I put that on a page and it's like don't remove that because it doesn't fit a narrative of what you want to look like to someone reading this and i think that you know the editing was actually the hardest part about staying honest because when i was writing it it was it was completely honest um and it was very much the real sentiments and emotions but going through the works after and, and kind of re reframing things i really had to you know that's where that's where the rubber met the road in terms of like is this going to be an honest uh dictation of of what i was going through and what i felt or is this going to be some stylized version of what you know retreating to the woods in a tough time looks like and am i going to try to make this this um glorified version of it and you know i'll be the first to admit there was a part of me that wanted to make it look cooler than it was or, or more glorified in the sense of you know this is this is, uh, me really just soaking up nature, but you know, there's a lot of parts of it that, um, you know, this is not my home or, you know, out here, I'm completely vulnerable or, you know, I don't know what the hell is next and I don't know who the hell I am. And I don't know what I belong to or who I belong to or, or who I am or will be, but this is how I feel right now. So I think that the editing process was actually the most, uh, the biggest gut check in terms of what do I want this piece to be and how honest do I want it to be?
0: Absolutely. And it, and it absolutely is as a reader, like that, that honesty and vulnerability is, is very apparent that, that you haven't. And actually now hearing you talk about it, I think it's actually quite a canny move for you to frame it as saying that they are corresponding field notes because it kind of, it feels like, it leads the reader down one path when actually they're greeted with something that's incredibly honest and raw. And if you were to frame it perhaps as saying, here is my poetry, it might perhaps put the readers into a different headspace. But you are, every page turn, greeted with real honesty and and real real vulnerability. And there's also so much weight, and this feels like a really unfortunate thing to say, but there's so much weight to hear a, a man talking so openly and honestly about his feelings like right now in the UK and all around the world, like there's a real, real kind of debate about men being a bit more kind of open and honest with their feelings and, and how that relates to to the opposite gender as well. And I think there's real value in hearing a young man kind of open his heart out to the world about an experience he went through. And I feel like there's, there's real value in that. And I think there's real value in people reading it as well and kind of hearing someone else express a feeling that maybe they might also chime with as well when they read it like I certainly did like your descriptions of your kind of vulnerability with the breakup definitely chimed with me as as a level like and I I imagine that probably wasn't part of your thinking going into it but would would you feel like that's a fair estimation in saying there is there is definite power in hearing a guy be open and vulnerable yeah
1: i just feel like you know you can you can talk about your own feelings in a way, especially with social media and different platforms, that they're still edited and they're still propped up um, in a way that, because this was originally just documentation of exactly how I felt, that was never exactly planned, at least in the beginning, when I committed to it to live in a public place necessarily I think there there is a way that you know like people can talk and be vulnerable and and you know edit the Instagram post so to speak um that is still I don't want to say contrived but you know it plays it up and and it's very it's very edited and it is very um And I don't want to also say that it's not real, but, you know, it's, it's again, like the social media highlight reel, you know, um, I think that those emotions, when you're, when you're making posts, whether they are real emotions or they're heartfelt, um, they kind of lose that, that little bit of, I don't want to say validity either, but like, you know, everyone plays it up a little bit and, or they, they hone in on a sentiment that is, you know, not in vogue, but like is, is currently, um, at the forefront. And, and I think that Yeah, and I think that, you know, as people, um, obviously, you know, as guys, I think we have a lot of work to do uh, in terms of being emotionally available and accountable, but um, as people, I think that if you go back to writing on the written page uh, a journal, you know, if you go back to keeping physical and tangible notes of of who you are and what you're going through and you commit to something like that, that maybe the goal is to never have it live in anyone else's field of sight but your own. And I think that should be the goal of a journal. Um, I think that you would be very surprised how many men uh, are capable of, of these types of emotions and sentiments uh, and these feelings and this and this um, and being in touch with these emotions. I think, you know, again, this comes back to society and the busyness and the distraction, the constant distraction. Um, you know, if, if you were to take 10 and let's call it guys and girls and sit them into, okay, you're going to be in the woods and we want you to document everything you're going through and write this down every day, you would get a lot of very, Beautiful, maybe you no, know, not framed into works of prose or or long form or anything, but you would get a lot of very, very, very real accounts and some very beautiful um, very beautiful sentiments and, and very honest, you know, approaching approaches to how they document their feelings. And I think a lot of people just don't take the time to to hone in on that. And it's more about putting out the sentiment of whatever, you know, fits the post. Um, And I just, I think that that's just a byproduct of our society right now, but I think that men are able to have these emotions and, and be in touch with them and be in tune with them and welcome them in. But if you're constantly distracted and you're constantly worried about what's next and you're constantly in the hustle and bustle of it all, it is really hard to hone in on that. And so I, I'm a firm believer that we all kind of have that ability. And I think the only you know, difference between people writing and publishing works is, is you know like they choose to document and, and note how they view the world around them and how they view their own feelings. Um, and it's just, to be honest, it just takes time and that's hard to do. In today's day and age, it's really hard to commit to something that may, especially at the beginning, seem fruitless. Um, you know, I think that to ask someone who's a 35-year-old lawyer who's never cried in public to go and write for 30 days everything he's feeling, tough sell, you know? Um, But I think if he were to, we would all probably find some very amazing beauty in, in some of the things that he's written. So, I think that, yes, men need to be more public uh, in owning their emotions and being um, emotionally intuitive and emotionally
2: connected beings. But I think that
1: as a society, we need to take the time to reflect on our emotions, to document our emotions, and to make the time for just dealing with them. Because right now it's just easier to be busy and distracted all the time. And the more distracted you are, the less you really have to take stock of that. So I, I think that yes, men obviously have to do way more work in terms of showing outward emotions in terms of that vulnerability. But I think that as a society, as, as a whole, we need to kind of try to find ways to slow down and really get in touch with what we're feeling. Because this, this never ending distraction um, cycle that we're in is really just cutting us off from a lot of real human emotions that we all share.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you you put it so beautifully, like, and it does feel like distraction is, is kind of the main elephant in the room and that's kind of, you know, obviously 2020 was a horrendous year, but if there was one thing to maybe take from it is that we were all, kind of forced to take stock a little bit and that is the hope going forward as as things start to open up and sort of normality starts to reappear although i don't know whether it will be quite the same that 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 period of time that we all we kind of all did have a version of what you did to to a certain extent to kind of be slightly alone with ourselves the hope is that is that we can carry that forward. Do you think that, are you hopeful for that, that? That there will be a sort of carryover from from that kind of forced period of reflection that we all kind of went yeah, through last I, year? Yeah,
1: I think I'm, I'm like most people, I think, you know, the question that first came up as, you know, after the, the two weeks and we're going to be back to everything, um, when we realized that wasn't going to happen, you know, I think the next question that kind of came up was, do we want to go back to normal quote unquote because was that normal working
2: for us was that normal working for the you know vast majority of people was that normal
1: working for our society as a whole for our planet was that normal working for how we were progressing in in our society in terms of how we treat each other how we treat the planet how we treat ourselves our minds our bodies um you know a lot of things popped up in 2020 that um you know i don't need to go through the the quote unquote highlight reel of all the you know the the big big issues of 2020 you know we we all know them and i think that the reality is is like is there a normal that we was there a part of normal life before that we want to go back to? And okay, sure. There will be elements, you know, I would love to go and bump into a friend and hug them at a coffee shop. Absolutely. But is the way we, you know, is office centricity is, um, you know, 14 hour work days for, you know, six days a week is traveling across the continent for a two hour meeting with a tech company, that owns x amount of you know (laughs) the world's eyes you know are these things the normal that we're striving to go back for and and what can a new normal look like with you know again i think in a in a you know to equate it to my time away what are the what are the elements that i want to hone in on and come back to same same as my time in the woods you know what what do I want to be able to call upon from this time and how do I want that to affect my life moving forward? It's like, for sure. What do we want from our old normal to be able to come back to and what wasn't working? And I think that that forced reflection is really, you know, it started in those first few months. And and I hope that the the dialogue keeps going that, you know, is there elements of things that, that we can just do away with now that we can, you know, get away from, is there, is there feelings and is there sentiments and emotions that we want to maybe be more in tune with? Are there connections that we want to dive deeper into? Are there priorities that have shifted? Is life becoming more about, you know, certain elements that only presented themselves to us during this time of forced reflection? um and forced isolation and solitude and and, and etc and i i know that again i i will be the first to admit that I, you know, I come from a very privileged standing of i could just go and do that you know i had the means and i lived in the place and and you know in a part of the world where i could just drive to the mountains and stay in a, a bunkie on the creek in the midst of all this beauty and not worry about feeding a family of four and not having money or being absolutely completely marginalized and and, you know i was just so fortunate that that i again like i'm coming from a complete place of privilege but i mean i think everyone's reality is that we need to take stock and we need to continue to take stock and i really do hope that 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 we don't just go back to to what was quote unquote normal because uh, i think early on we realized that normal normal life wasn't working uh in a lot of lot of ways um, on a very macro level and then you know now hopefully we can start to look at the micro look at the day-to-day life look at what we want from from our existence and I think that especially you know us with with any privilege is, is to really look at you know how we can change the world um, in our own little you know you know think think globally act locally um, how we can do that now moving forward uh, and I really do hope that you know, obviously not everyone can go to a cabin or a bunkie in the woods and and write every day for 30 some odd days and and just worry about running and chopping wood and cooking, you know, your next meal. But I think that this time of slowing down can provide some people with, hopefully, you know, the the default isn't just to numb yourself with Netflix and and PlayStation um, for the 15 months of COVID. Hopefully that there comes a point where that isn't enough, and we can really start to actually ask the questions of what do I want from a life? How can I benefit the people around me? How can I shape you know, these next 15 months, you know, not viewing necessarily this last year as a loss, but viewing how can I like, absolutely take advantage of the life that I'm, I'm lucky enough to be living right now in the next year? Um, and it just I, I really hope that while they may not have the the same um, you know physical retreat away that there is there's people that are are having an, an emotional retreat of sorts um during this time and, and again if you have the privilege to be to be safe and fed and a roof over your head during this time of of you know restricted social gatherings that you can take some time and and you know maybe start journaling maybe you know just take stock you know do 15 minutes of meditation sit with your thoughts Um, you know, and, and try to make those little changes and, and, and just be accountable daily to, to, to who you are and what you want to be moving forward. Because I think that that's going to just shift the whole, the whole psyche of it. And I think that you don't need to be in the woods to do that. I think you just need to turn your phone off for, for a day. And, and, you know, if you, if you're fortunate enough to just sit, just be okay with being, um, and, and that's really hard, but I think that, you know, we're going to get a lot of really good answers out of that.
0: Be okay with being. I feel like that's a really lovely note and an idea to posit in the listeners' minds going forward. Sean thank you so much and again I cannot recommend running through the woods the river gentle on my mind enough it is a a beautiful body of work and it is available now as well I believe it has been released now March 22nd on longdistance.world I I cannot recommend it enough it's, it's such a beautiful body of work Sean thank you so much for coming on and being such a wonderful guest on the big run thank you
1: thank you so much for having me and uh yeah let's uh let's try to get in a run next time uh, the world allows <laughs>
0: Big thank you to Sean for coming on and telling us all about his time out there in the woods in British Columbia and Running Through the Woods. The River Gentle on my mind is available today to order by longdistance.world. I'll link all the necessaries in today's show notes. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of The Big Run. And remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Big Run Pod or on The Big Run Podcast, respectively. And if you want to keep an eye on my running and my day-to-day jogging around London town, you can on Instagram at Danny Runs Some. And as always, if you're able to, get out there and get running. I'm going for a run right now. See you next week. Thanks for listening.